Here on the Wide Angle Podium Network, the Honest Bicycle Program is supported by Health IQ, which is a life insurance agency. Health IQ has exclusive rates for health conscious people. They crunch numbers on athletes and use unique models to offer physically active people lower rates on life insurance. So to learn more, go to healthiq.com slash honestbicycle. You can learn more about what they're about and you can get a free quote on life insurance. That's healthiq.com slash honestbicycle. We're grateful to have their support, so go check them out. So I have a pretty good cold open for us. Oh, uh, Yeah. Yeah, so I... Lay it on me, bro. Okay, so, you know, I've been flying with my bike a bunch lately for bicycle races. Um, sure, sure, the, yeah. The, the past couple of years. And, you know, I have a case that's working really well for me. It's an Oru case, Airport Ninja. They're not an advertiser, but I'm mentioning them anyway because I really like their product. But I started, uh, I started flying one airline in particular because I got the whole airline credit card and I'm earning miles and... Yada, yada, yada. And it turns out that at some point recently, I don't know, they started having like a really sensible bike policy where you don't get charged extra just because something is a bike. It still just has to be oversized in order for them to screw you. Okay. And I I had such a like sensible experience with this airline um, that uh, that the most recent time I flew, which was just yesterday... When they said, what is it? I just said, it's a bike. And so then they measured it. And that's... That gave me... That gave me a moment of worry. But fortunately, mm-hmm. though they measured it, it still did not come out to be over the 62 linear inches. So are you saying that when you, for example, brought a, oh, massage table... Or on your flight. Trade show supplies. Or trade show supplies. That, art that, supplies. That they, <laughs> right, yeah. That they haven't measured the case in that they, instance? They have not, but when I said sports equipment or bike parts, they measured. Well, that's... Huh. And I feel like, you know, they they, t- they totally lulled me into a false sense of security with, like, some really reasonable policies. Uh... And then this, you know, this one trip, they were like busting out the measuring tape, but still slid through just fine. Because I don't want to have to lie and say that it's uh, a lot of pants or so. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But you know, it's from what people say, because of course there's the usual of it's a bike, and therefore we're going to charge you through the nose mm-hmm. for no particular reason. No particular reason. Or, yeah, or or even if they have a reasonable policy on bikes per se, but they'll break out the measuring tape if you say it's a bike versus if you tell them that it's, yeah, a trade show display. Yeah. Um, it There must be a policy somewhere, right? There must be. That I mean, says, yeah, there's something on their website. Well, no, but I mean, I mean an internal policy oh, where... Yeah. If a customer, if you ask what is in what it is, and the customer says it's blah, you have to measure it, even I though mean, I mean I don't know. Maybe they're supposed to measure everything, but but it, they they definitely seems... don't. Yeah, maybe it's like carding. Yeah. Like if you look under thirty, they have to card. <laughs> if it looks like it could be approaching sixty-two linear inches, 
Well, it's funny because maybe it's just a mental model thing. People are like, bicycles are huge. Yeah. There's no way that's going to be under 62 linear inches in the Bike Ninja or UK Spike Ninja. But no, because, because, or is that how you say it? Or you case? Or, or you case, or you case, I don't know. Or you case, O-R-U case is how, you, how it's spelled, I believe. But anyway, uh, you know, they're aware, they're aware of the rules. They, they didn't just pull this design out of their butts. They didn't come out of thin air. They, they aren't just, you know, they aren't just making shit up over there. No. They know what they're doing. They're here, yeah. they're here to help you out. You know, they want... They want you to make uh, to get through your airport experience without the added unnecessary hassle of exorbitant bike fees. It almost so they're sounds doing as everything if, uh, in their power to prevent it, that. It almost sounds as if uh, we are advertising for them based on how well, professionally you're delivering this. <laughs> I wish it were true because uh, you know I think that they've got a pretty thing good, a pretty good thing going. I think that word of mouth is, is spreading, but they're they're maybe not your most well known, uh, I don't know, luggage company out there. And hey, podcast advertising they're not. is pretty sweet. So I don't know if you're listening if if you're listening and you work in say I don't know the marketing department at uh, or your case, uh, drop us a line. Honest bike pro, honest bike program at gmail.com or is it honest bicycle program at gmail? Oh boy, we're the worst. I I will say this, you know, I got I got one. By the way, three. this is the honest bicycle program. We, this should, is, we oh, should break in to say that. This is the this is the honest bicycle program. Uh, that's Greg and I'm Matteo. Yeah, that's that is I can confirm. Yeah, and about three and a half years ago, I got one of them, and then immediately got another one because I often travel with my sweetheart Heidi. Um, but because you only use something like that, you know, a few times a year, like it's not like we're constantly traveling. Uh, we're able to loan ours to friends for pretty frequently. Um, by the way, by the way, or you case, it is indeed honest bike program at gmail.com. So uh, <laughs> drop me a line. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, we probably loaned our bags out for, you know, a dozen trips. Um, and in fairly short order, a half a dozen of our friends or so, you know, got together and they were like, all right, let's see if we can place a bulk order for these. These are great. That's a that's a business success story, I'd say. Or, or like a, you know, a word of mouth marketing success story. It definitely is. Hey, you know what? If you sell a great product and you stand behind it, um, people are going to buy it. Mm-hmm. There's no getting around that. Yeah. So, I guess, uh, I don't know. I had some nonsense I was going to give you that was completely unbike related, but I think I think we won't do that. I was gonna I was gonna complain about people not knowing how to express lane at supermarkets, but you know what? People don't want to hear that. They don't care. <laughs> we <We've, laughs> we got our cold open out of the way. Uh, <laughs> not that I mean it's a privilege and an honor to do a cold open, especially for such a fine product as the Oru case Spike Ninja case. Um, but I think we have an agenda. We got a packed agenda. We got a lot of things to talk about. So, uh, I don't know. What you got? Uh, did you catch the article in Velo News about a week ago um, about a young man named Joshua Hartman? Uh, yeah, well, see, I was tipped off to that article by my good friend, uh, Matteo Montesano. <laughs> and it looked pretty interesting. But uh, why don't you, uh, you know, I only kind of skimmed it. Okay. So, I don't know. Why don't you give me the executive summary? Yeah, so uh, 
I understand that it was the cover feature and that Velo News isn't just a website. They're also a magazine publication. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's an article about a, uh, uh, a young guy from Brooklyn. Um, I think he's a teenager. He's a teenager. Um, and he's, uh, you know, he's on the national team and he's been training in Colorado with uh, USA Cycling. Um as they're sort of aiming to have a, a crop of, of candidates for the 2020 Olympic team. And it just sort of, it's a, it's an article about him. It's a profile on him. Um, he gained some um, fame or renown or, or notoriety or, or something for having had a really um, apparently frightening and terrible and traumatic crash and injury at the Red Hook crit a few years ago. Um, oh yeah, I remember that. I think yeah, I think that uh, let's see, it was uh, apparently 2013, so he was 15 at the time, I guess. Um, uh, apparently, you know, crashed into the barriers and had some really, really awful sort of facial and skull injuries as a result. That mm-hmm. you know, uh, he was in a coma, and and I remember reading some articles about it, uh, and I think that it. Um, it was probably a, a very difficult experience for him as well as for the Red Hook Crit organization that doesn't, you know, the, the people who are there don't want to see injuries and they take really, really great pains, I think, to make their event safe, um, mm-hmm. given the discipline. Um, and, uh, you know, he's he's bounced back and he has been racing at the track. He's a pretty powerful sprinter. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the article sort of profiles his trajectory and I think it was uh, had some really, really impeccable timing because I was out in L.A. for the uh, Elite Track Cycling National Championships where Josh uh, Joshua um, was on the team sprint team that won a gold medal in the team sprint. So, oh, awesome. So, you know, not only – it was a good week for him, right? He's on the cover of Velo News and he gets his first Elite National Championship. Yeah, that's a pretty good week. That's a good week. Um, Man, this photo of him, like, getting strapped in on his bike is dope. <laughs> because he's got, like, that badass track bike SRM, and also his legs are huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Damn, bro. So take, take a look. Take a look at the track ends of that, uh, of that bike. Uh, I'm looking at him. Yeah. Uh, I know this is going to sound like I'm quizzing you, but does anything seem a little bit interesting about those track ends? And you could just spitball here. There's no wrong answer. Uh, well, there's like a little a little doohickey near the front end of them mm-hmm. that looks like almost I don't know some kind of dial wheel sort of thing. Yeah, so that's uh, that's a that's a neat little chain tensioner that the dial spins that screw, and the screw just pushes the ac- the axle backwards so that you can get perfect chain tension. Yeah. yeah. Um they also look long and actually above the uh they're above the chainstay. Mm-hmm. A fair bit. So I want to talk about the length this is an interesting bicycle model and I've seen a lot of them around. Uh what's <laughs> we're we're getting distracted, but go ahead. We are getting distracted. Uh so notice that the chainstays support the track ends well in front of the axle. So if you're a powerful uh, person putting putting weight on the bike, putting some downward weight on the bike, um, you know, maybe in steep banking, you're essentially driving that axle 
upward into the upper part of the track end. That's oh, you're nothing. saying it's, it's kind of cantilevered a bit. Yeah, it's cantilevered out. Hmm. Anyways, I saw a lot of those bikes at track nats, and half of them had the, the upper part of the track end just uh, bending upwards. Oh. Because there's nothing supporting it. Hmm. 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 That's all. That's all. Aside, uh, fairly, fairly unnecessary digression to what uh, what I think the real meat and potatoes of, yeah, of this go. bit is about. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that really struck me about this Velo News piece is is you know this excerpt um, fairly early on where they start to get into race and socioeconomic status in cycling, and they write that cycling is a sport. Quote is a sport where the pro and amateur peloton is overwhelmingly white and born with privilege. And when I read that, I have a hard time with that characterization of cycling, and it gives me a whole big yes, but. Um, mm-hmm. Because it is or it may be, and I think it's really solid that you know Velenews really kind of addresses racial and socioeconomic stuff in cycling. But every time I hear about how cycling is so white, I, I feel like it's almost working hard to ignore people of color uh, and the really, like, significant ways that, like, cycling is a part of Central and South American and Caribbean culture and uh, and and the extent to... The, essentially, the extent to which the sport is not white, right? It's like a, a mantra that gets repeated yeah. that is not maybe as true as it is frequent and maybe i feel strongly about this because i started racing in new york city where like it's really hard to ignore the influence of of like i said you know central south american and caribbean bike racers so when i hear cycling is so white i just think you're not paying attention and i I also feel like there's a sort of strange irony to to vela news saying that while profiling a young black kid um although to their credit they i think i sort of wrote some notes on how i felt about this like at that sentence and then subsequently they they go into a little bit further depth and they do talk about the really um the sort of polyglot and multiracial peloton of the new york city amateur cycling scene Mm -hmm. you know uh, i have (laughs) many thoughts on this they're not very well organized I'd, I'd be interested for you to delve into that more. What I, I do think I want to say about this is um, there seems to be, ooh, uh, like I'm not even exactly sure how to ex- express what I'm thinking about. But yeah, I, I do think that there's a certain amount of, I don't know if I would say erasure, but I would say a sort of people I don't know if I it's if it's glossing over or just literally not remembering that they are there mm-hmm. <laughs> um but but sort of this this ignorance of the really substantial presence yeah of I mean I particularly of uh South American Central American Hispanic uh cyclists in the US Scene and and in the U.S. domestic pro scene uh, in particular, um, and I think there's a certain irony in an audience 
a cycling enthusiast audience in the United States that is largely white sort of because like ironically as a result of kind of their their I don't know white privilege or whatever you want to call it sort of missing the presence of those riders like mm-hmm. not seeing them and then saying god the sport is so white it's a problem um which which you know it, it is it is quite a white sport in you know depending on where you look and where you are um but you know I wonder if if people who are like watching you know streams of crits or whatever and i don't know if these people are actually you know if it's if it's a super white audience but i assume it is and and maybe that's wrong but you know if if a name like like a guy like carlos alzate doesn't stick in their brains you know the way a guy like dan daniel holloway Mm -hmm. right or a travis mccabe does just because that's the kind of like name and 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 look and and maybe i guess personality that they're used to seeing yeah you know what I mean? Does that oh, make sense? So I think there's a little bit of that going on, as well as the fact that, like, yeah, you know, I mean, around here, uh, most of the people, most of the amateur cycling scene is, you know, it is predominantly white people. But uh, it's not exclusively white people at all. Yeah. So, let's, you know, there's there's the danger of, there. you got to acknowledge the situation without erasing the presence you know of people who are here who are yeah. who are not white yeah exactly and like i like i said you know i i started racing in new york city where like at floyd bennett field you know you'd hear people like yelling uh, you know to their teammates in spanish or in uh you know in like heavily caribbean accented english um the sort of like difficult to penetrate like trinidadian uh patois tsl um you know like these are just like common or like you know i i had never met a guyanese person until i started racing bikes and then all of a sudden like i knew a ton of people from guyana which is like not a very big country right yeah yeah um but guyanese people are crazy about racing bikes there's some of them that live in new york and they all race bikes um and I just felt like, you know, my, my initial experience with bike racing was around the time that I started to hear that phrase that cycling is the new golf. And I would go out to Floyd Bennett Field and be like, what? Like, okay, maybe someone on the internet, you know, is an investment banker who bought a $10,000 custom bike. But, like, here's a bunch of working class people racing bikes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, I uh, The whole site, oh boy, cycling is the new golf. Uh, and... Mm. Oh boy! I have so many. It, it, well, and just when general in general, when people talk about accessibility um, of the sport and how oh it's too expensive and you need all you know this that and the other thing and um, this gets me a little head up actually um, mm-hmm. a little it gets my hackles up a little bit just because uh, I think it's another case I think it's really another case where people are kind of just seeing their world. And thinking that's, and, and you know, and it comes from like a good, it comes from a a, um, a generous mindset, right? But I think it, it again is has a certain amount of, uh, uh, yeah, like being I, kind I, of locked in your own worldview. Yeah, I think what we're describing is is people 
thinking that they're describing the culture or the world and really they're kind of just describing themselves yeah yeah right exactly it's like my experience is universal this is what it looks like but it's not and 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 so so right so you hear this thing about like cycling is really expensive and and that's an access problem and like let's okay let's break that down a little bit right like what does that mean what's expensive and what people are talking about is like the bike parts and like the bike clothes and stuff like that because and it's because like man now you know uh, you got to get your $5,000 road bike and it's like carbon this and aero that and it all costs a crap load of money and it's like, well, you know, you're, you're a person who isn't like a rich, you know, dentist or whatever is, is like totally priced out, right? But it's, it's, I mean, like, look, I'm going to be frank, it's bullshit. Like, it's just not, like, and that's not to say that there can't be a problem with, uh, you know, people getting... Uh, too wrapped up in in like expensive gear and stuff like that and there isn't an elitism thing and whatever but like it's bullshit um there are lots of expensive sports that nonetheless have large participation by people who aren't rich um and and it has to do with things like what's the cultural provenance of that sport uh you know where can you get access to it is are there facilities you know is there funding like is it a school sport and, and that ends up making a big difference because a sport like American football is incredibly popular. Well, this is not a cheap sport to administer to a bunch of kids. Like, not at all. And yet it's but, all But, like, every, almost every school building in the country has, like, a locker somewhere filled with helmets and pads. Yeah. No, I, exactly. Exactly. And you'll see in, in you know, there in, in, in a lot of countries even where – you know that are frankly much less well off than the United States of America um, overall, um, where cycling is way more popular, and there are dirt poor kids in rural Colombia who get into it. You know because because there's like a cultural providence yeah. to it, and so there's some and there's like a bunch of old bikes lying around, and people also realize, oh hey, in road cycling, like the technology is pretty marginal. You know, like, you don't need, as it turns, like, you can get by, like, when you're starting out learning how to race and, and figure it out on, like, the old bike, you know, with the 32-spoke wheels and, and maybe even, like, down-tube shifters or some Sora or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, just look at, uh, uh, just look at any, co- go to a collegiate cycling race and watch the D field. <laughs> like, look... How many of those 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 kids? And these are you know kids who are not poor at all for the most part because it's college, right? Uh, I mean, I, I shouldn't generalize. There are a lot of <laughs> kids who get into college who, who do it on financial aid and stuff. Cycling like that. But back anyway. to our previous conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> again. But but nonetheless, you know, you're talking about more of a slice of American kind of people, and and uh, without we won't even get into like opportunity in college and whatever. But anyway, uh, people who haven't spent a lot of money on bikes are just getting into it, and you'll you'll see you'll see kids in like sweatpants or wind pants or whatever, and like GMC Denali bikes from Walmart with like you know the road bikes with the grip shifters on them. Like I saw all of that, uh, and you know it's just where there's a will, there's a way, you know. Uh, and, and and access is not a. It just like it just it just I don't know, just really. It, it annoys the hell out of me, right? Just because I think it's it's not like it's wrong, but it's such an oversimplification of of problems with access to cycling and where people who are like the, you know, reasonably well-off, like whatever middle-class 
white people are sitting there bemoaning how like, oh, it's also expensive and da, 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 da. and it's like, you know, and Velo News will go to whatever the tour of oh, I don't even remember the name of it, which is embarrassing, but like, you know, somewhere in in uh, uh, like West Africa, uh, you know, there's this bike race and they'll go there and be like, wow, these African pros are riding on, you know, an ancient Trek 5200 with nine speed Dura-Ace and they still get the job done. And it's like, well, yeah, no shit. Like, you know, that shit works. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, come on. Uh, So I don't know. People believe the, people believe, and it's weird because like, I am very much in favor of the technology stuff. Like, I'm like, great, disc brakes, cool, whatever, fine. But, like, people start believing the press a little too much about, you know, how much of a difference it makes, you know, regarding competitiveness. Yeah, so, like, if I were, you know, one of those, like, billionaires that you always hear about who, like, come into the sport and then sort of blow a bunch of money and then leave and on Mm -hmm. to their next thing. Yeah. You know, if I wanted to, like, really make a difference or whatever, you know, I would want to, to work with an established program and and kind of just make sure that they had a fleet of bikes and they could be pretty simple bikes you know uh, aluminum frames carbon fork sturdy wheels 105 or altegra or sram or something um and that stuff will last 10 years yeah you know yeah. those the essentially those thousand dollar bikes which and then you, know, you see you know you have a bike shop that has a good relationship with a rep and talk about oh you know what's what's kind of left over like you can find stuff for really cheap uh, if the infrastructure and the institutions are backing you. Right. Right. And then you have a fleet of bikes that you can, you know, whatever your approach is to like finding people to get them into the sport, you can say, cool, like here's what we do. Like every Tuesday afternoon and Saturday morning we meet and here's where we meet and you pick up your bike and it's got a sticker with your name on it for the time being and, and that's how you become a cyclist. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, at, and some, then, at some point, those that kid saves up money and buys their own bike. Right, right, or like whatever they they make it into they're they're talented and they make it into a program that can provide them with you know whatever. I'm basically describing though like what every velodrome in the country has and does. Yeah, unfortunately, there aren't that many velodromes in the Damn country. Shame. Damn shame. But uh, yeah, I mean the you know. It, it is the sad thing about kind of uh, I don't want to say death of track cycling in the United States. Let's not over. You know, we could just go uh, with dearth instead of death. Dearth, dearth is dearth is good. You know, uh, death in the sense that it used to be, you know, a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. not even actually more than a hundred years ago. Now. Before World War II, it was the biggest sport in the country. The biggest sport in the country, yeah, and the and American that's, country. That's largely gone away, but you know. Yeah, something like a velodrome, you know, just like a local football field or basketball court or, you know, a, a running track, right, represents, you know, a facility that is a nucleus for development. Uh, and, of course, the, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's pretty difficult to build velodromes for a whole host of reasons, uh, including that most people don't know what the hell they are. Uh, but, you know, the inaccessibility of cycling is a much more complicated, if you even want to say problem, I, I guess we can say it's a problem because we like cycling. We'd love it to be more popular, I guess. Uh, but it's, it's so much bigger than like, oh, the bikes are too expensive and you, know, you can't compete. But like, come on. It, like, it's bike racing. It's not Formula One. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> let's not like get carried away here. Yeah. 
I don't know. So so anyway, and and that does often tie in, right? Because people do, you know, and this is again because of the association people make, which is, you know, again, like not necessarily wrong, right? But they think, well, white people rich and people who aren't white, not rich. Um, and again, it's more complicated than that. But, you know, it, it does tie into the whole minority underrepresentation thing. But, and you know, there are also organizations and people out there, let's not forget, which this article does get into, who have the specific mission of working with minority kids mm-hmm. to get them, you know, uh, equip them for cycling. I mean, come on, like Bahati Foundation? Like if people forgot about <laughs> about Bahati? Like, how could you? But And I would, I would call out a uh, sort of much, much less known um, entity, uh, Jackroo Chrome Industries um, is a team um, supported by Jackroo, which, which makes kit, and Chrome, which makes bags, um, that works out of the Hellier Velodrome in San. Where's Hellier? San Jose. Um, oh. And I and I think mostly works with like teenagers from Oakland. Right. And I don't know how they work. I follow them on Instagram. I know the director sportif michael hernandez who's a terrific fella um but i really admire uh what he's done because you know a lot of people start teams and a lot of people try and get resources for their pals um and i think michael is doing the stuff that like is a little bit harder to do but definitely makes bike racing better yeah yeah so in short these organizations these organizations are out there i also think in actually significant like kind of significant parts, uh, regions of the United States cycling, I don't know, culture, that there are, <laughs> that there are basically large Spanish-speaking cycling cultures, like bike racing s- cycling cultures, that your kind of white middle-class bike racer guy is by and large just completely unaware of, um, just because they, they haven't made themselves aware but and, yeah. in places like Southern California in Southern Florida, like, it's a thing. It's, you know, large community. <laughs> like, it's not a small percentage of, yeah. of the scene in those places at all. These Spanish-speaking communities of bike racers. For sure. Like, Oh, man. Maybe we should have my friend-slash-mentor-slash-coach Robert on the show to talk about his trip to Trinidad to race bikes there this winter. Because his oh, story man. is his his story is absolutely crazy, um, and it it sounds like sounded like a trip, um, yeah, but it was, it was also it this this huge scene of bike racers and spectators there for the Southern Games. Oh wow, the Southern Games, man! Southern Games, another thing that we don't know about very much. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like a really good thing. That sounds like something we should maybe make happen. Because, you know, like, I, I, I should say, on top of all this, like, I, I'm not some kind of, uh, su- I'm not super knowledgeable about this stuff. You know, I am as blissfully unaware that my particular view on the world is not the whole world as any other white guy, you know, with a podcast. Uh <laughs> So, you know, uh, I, I have a lot of ignorance to spell myself, you know, and again, it's not that there's nothing to the whole like, oh, cycling is too white, oh, cycling is is too expensive. But, you know, I, I feel like we can't make progress in in dealing with these issues by just 
somehow complaining about them without realizing, you know, what is already there, like what the actual sort of uh, uh, status of the world of cycling is. I think that that gets into um, maybe a whole whole another conversation, which which we might have to table until we're like prepared for it. But uh, in the past few months, USA Cycling uh, did release um, guidelines uh, around trans athletes participation in a very heavily gendered sport with complex stuff around performance enhancement and hormones. Oh man. Um, yeah. And I, and I have started to see more visible trans athletes in recent years. And I'm thrilled to see that. And, and I think without us getting into it again, I, I, I think that I want to cautiously say that USA cycling looks like they're doing a pretty, they're starting out. Okay. They've made some missteps in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I think it looks like they've taken that seriously, but I'd have to actually look. Uh, I my understanding yeah. is that they've they've taken it very seriously, and that they're not doing this alone. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, uh, yeah. I think we should talk about more that more in the future because I think that's a it's a both an interesting and and uh, potentially really fraught uh, <laughs> discussion. Yeah. Um, but but also hopefully a hopeful one. So okay. Um, basically, you know, cycling is pretty white in a lot of ways, but there's diversity out there and don't, you know, maybe, maybe let's open our eyes up and, and not forget the people who are already there. Uh, cause that's important. Um, but yeah. now you said something about velodromes being important and very so shortly, I think that you can tell us a little bit about the happenings that the United States is only true indoor velodrome but but first but first yes uh we are coming to you on the wide angle podium network did you know that matteo i have heard several good things about the wide angle podium network it is pretty it is pretty great and we're going to tell you why in a bit but not only that uh it's august now and I don't know. Does that does that uh, mean anything to you, Matteo, with respect to wide angle podium? That means it's donation drive month. Oh, snap! Is that? So do we look, still say that? Snap. Do we still say that? Do we say that? No. Did you say stop or snap? No, I said snap. I said snap. Oh snap! Oh, oh snap! Hot diggity dog! We sure do. Throw it. So look, <laughs> back to ninety nine. Anyway, go. On. <laughs> the wide angle podium network is a donor supported network. And that's what, does that what, that's, what does that mean? What does that mean, Matthew? <laughs> that means that, that we do this, and a lot of other really talented people do this, uh, and we make this stuff available for you, and there are some people paying uh, you know, website hosting fees out of their own pockets and doing all that boots-on-the-ground work to get advertisers for this. Uh, but I think we, what we would all like to see is a sort of community-supported effort uh, wherein we make this content... Uh, Spencer et al. over at the Wide Angle Podium Network do a lot of that back-end logistics, and our audience and listeners support it because you like knowing that all this stuff exists and is in one place for you to peruse and absorb. Yeah. Yeah, so let me tell you, let me, like, let, let me break it down for you guys, right? We're here on the Wide Angle Podium Network, which is pretty much... Uh, Gosh, I'd say if you like cycling podcasts, if you want to absorb everything you can about cycling, this is where you go, 
right? You've got so much great stuff. And even beyond the world of cycling, but just focusing on cycling, you've got, well, you know. T- t- tell us about what they got. Well, right. So there's us, right? We're okay. Uh, there's a slow ride. They're all right. But you've got Crosshair's radio. Amazing. Amazing. You've got now the uh, brand new uh, kind of returning, triumphant return of the Bike Shop Show, now as Bike Shop CX. Stupendous. Uh, stupendous. You've got We Got to Hang Out. Fabulous. You've got Lindsay Baird doing the Dirt Field recordings. Terrific. Yeah. You've got, uh, oh man, oh man. I, 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 you've got the Consummate Athlete. Amazing. I'm running out of adjectives. You're running it's out also adjectives. really good. It's... They're, it's so good. And there's not even all of them. Like, there's, there's more, right? And they're all so good. So good. It's like high-quality stuff. And let me tell you, uh, we provide this, this content, this great hashtag content for free. Uh, that might be a bit of too much of a New England bike racer joke. Uh, <laughs> but all this hashtag content is, is f- available for free. And let me tell you, the number of listeners that are also members and, and, and donor members is like, it's tiny, right? Almost very few people who listen donate. Uh, it's maybe 1%. I'm not even kidding about that. And that doesn't mean we don't want you here. Of course we want you here. That's why it's free, right? You know, we didn't want you. It wouldn't be free. But, you know, uh, it really, really helps us keep it going. It really helps support these shows that you love. You know, even with just a small, a small donation, you know, you can become a member. You don't even have to do, like, a recurring donation. You could do, like, a single donation. But, you know, just, just start it out, right? So so donate. So so what what can you get for donating? Maddie, why don't you, why don't you tell them what they can get if they become a member, if they, they make a donation uh, there are to help great, us keep this going? Yeah. So when you make a donation so that you can feel good about not having this be free anymore, about having this thing you love be something that you support, uh, there are uh, excellent freebies available for donors at a bunch of different levels. Uh I don't know what those levels are off the top of my head, but I do. Well, know here, that let's go. Let's go to this website here that will he- that tell us. Is it wineanglepodium.com/slash/donate? It is wineanglepodium.com/slash/donate. And look, we've got all these levels here. All right, so let me just tell you what those levels are. All right, and we're gonna pick. We'll just pick one out, okay? But uh, there's so many levels. Let me tell you about it. We've got a five dollar per month donation, the hero level. That's like right? one coffee a month. Yeah, it's one coffee a month. Like, come on, like. Just think about how much you enjoy that coffee that you get every morning. That, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, 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 soy, latte, cappuccino, you know, whatever the heck it is. Uh, so so one coffee a month. That's pretty sweet. Uh, so that's a hero level. We also got Superstar, $10 a month. Rockstar, $15 a month. I think you see where this is going. That's And you know, $10 a month, that's like one box of Tegaderm a month. Like, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, let me tell you, I go through Tegaderm like... <laughs> Uh, I don't want to continue this analogy. Toilet paper. But <laughs> I think I got myself out of trouble there. Uh, but look, let's say that you're a rock star, all right? You're giving $15 per month. You know, that's like some legit support. So so what do you get for that? You get, of course, bonus content. You get that at every level. We're going to tell you about that, all right? You get your wide-angle podium water bottle and... Oh, man. You get a sticker pack. I mean, it's pretty great. If you were to go all the way up to the unicorn status level, right, where you're basically Jesus, as it says on the thing, um, we, we are also welcome to, you know, uh, non-Jesus-liking people, uh, if you are basically blah. Uh, 
<laughs> not only do you get bonus content and a wide-angle podium water bottle, you get another wide-angle podium water bottle, right? You get the sticker pack. You get a t-shirt. You get an on-air shout-out, right? I want, you choose... I want to give an on-air shout-out to somebody. That would be incredible. Wouldn't really that be incredible? That. So I think what we're saying is, you know, it, it, first of all, of course, you get the warm, fuzzy feeling of helping the shows you love. Uh, just, you know, kind of keep doing it. And you get stuff, you know. And the, and the bonus content is, is everyone who signs up and becomes a member gets that. And, and that's really fun. I mean, we just did uh, a special episode where we, man, we went so deep on, uh, oh, what, what was that movie? Breaking Away. We watched Breaking Away, and we discussed the hell out of it. So you can get that. You can get that. Just got more to come. More to come. Oh, believe me. There's so much more to come. It's going to be great. So if you like Wide Angle Podium, if you listen to just one of these shows, if you listen to all of the shows, man, just think about, like, you could be part of the community. I mean, and here's here's what's going to happen when you when you sort of support the Wide Angle Podium Network. You're going to help support, uh, you know, the hosting of something like two terabytes of bandwidth every month. Um, that supports, you know, uh, a half a million downloads this year to date. So we're on pace for about a million downloads this year uh, on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Uh, you support this infrastructure. Um, you support shows being able to get high quality microphones and cables and audio software and all that good stuff that makes it sound a lot better than it used to sound. Hint, hint. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, don't listen to episode one of the Honest Bicycle program. <laughs> but if you do, you will see what we're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, We've come a long way, baby. <laughs> and honestly, when our show account gets a little bit of money... Uh, we buy ourselves a nice whiskey. We feel good about the time that we take on a weekday or weekend evening away from our sweethearts. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, and, and it's not just the recording time. We plan. We do plan a little bit. We, we do some editing. You know, we want it to sound slick and professional. I mean, you know, within reason. It's kind of our brand to not be totally slick and professional. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean,. Uh, be a friend, be a pal. Um, you know, you can choose where you want to send your money. Uh, whether it's to the whole network, you can you can pick a show that you particularly like. You know, hey, if you're listening to this, but you your favorite show is Crosshairs Radio, and you want to give them their money, like that's that's great. That's fine. Like that's great. That helps us out anyway, because you know they're our friends. They're part of the community. They're also they also get more downloads than we do, so they probably need the money more. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's all right. So once again, you can go to wideanglepodium.com/slash/donate. Um, be a part of something awesome. Wideanglepodium.com/slash/donate. And if you are already a donor, if you are already a donor, if you listen to all of us, all, all of this, uh, thank you, thank you. We appreciate you. You are loved. The rest of you are loved too, just slightly less. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, you're going to look forward to... Oh, by the way. By the way. By the way. Currently, anyone who donates during the drive gets a bottle. 
from five dollars a month up okay or an additional one if that plan includes one and, and let's not lie everybody needs a water bottle because this time of year they just get moldy and disgusting like uh, like that like constantly oh, it happens so fast and you forget to wash them out and you're like crap oh, i need a bottle God. Then you're like wait i have this super classy wide angle podium bottle i'll use that uh and and then you'll be happy because it's a very high quality product and hey you know uh there's also extras which is to say there's a prize pack drawing so uh, I think I think you can get excited about that. So you could you could be entered to win a pretty sweet prize. What is it? It's a mystery. You'll see. All right. So winegopoding.com/slash/donate. Uh, did we have anything else in the agenda today? Were we talking about velodromes? I think we were. Did, we were did talking you about go, velodromes. Did you go to a velodrome recently? Perhaps the only real indoor velodrome in the United States. Now, what do, you mean, what do you mean by the only real indoor velodrome? Well, Are you implying that there are some fake ones? Well, I mean, I, I, I think that there is one that they kind of put some kind of biodome over. Some sort of, you know, poly shore vehicle. <laughs> yes, that's, 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 that's right. In Colorado Springs, there's a velodrome in a bubble. But in Carson, and California... And poly shore is there being annoying. Yes. No, that's not true. You can go to... It's safe to go to Colorado Springs. <laughs> I swear. Um, but yeah, in Carson, which is a small town outside of uh, a, a larger town called Los Angeles, California. Whoa. Um, is the Velo Sports Center, which is part of the StubHub Center. Uh, and the Velo Sports Center is, uh, yeah, it's the country's only indoor velodrome. It is a UCI homologated 250 meter competition standard track. And That's a lot of big words. A lot of big words. I know. I'm trying to impress our audience. Um, and this past week was the United States of America Cycling Elite Track Cycling National Championships. And I went there to race some bikes. Oh, you were... Okay, so you were there for the USAC Nats thing. Elite Nats, yeah. Well, it was Elite and Junior Nats, but I am not a junior. Oh, I see. That's true. No. Decidedly yes. not junior. So, so okay, so you were there racing bikes. How'd, uh, how'd that go? Well, I'll, I'll preface how it go by, by saying this, is that like two, two years ago, uh, I, I've been going to Nats. This is my fourth trip to elite track cycling nationals, Nats, parenthesis, from here on in, to be referred to as Nats. Mm. Um, mm. And, uh, and two years ago, my, my second year, um, it was also in L.A., uh, in Carson, the Vell Sports Center. Mm-hmm. And I surprised a lot of people, including myself, um, by getting sixth place in a race called the Scratch Race. Which is Yeah, that a... was sweet. Yeah, and we talked about it on the show. I don't remember what episode it was. It was two years ago. Yeah, um, I probably should have looked that up so I could tell people. <laughs> ah, no worries. Sorry. <laughs> people can Google it. Um, but, you know, after, after telling the story of, of that bike race... On, uh, on this program you know we got some nice emails of people like congratulating me to the show account and I at that point I really started to feel like you know like wow maybe maybe I'm an elite cyclist and maybe uh, maybe this is it like maybe I'm I'm you know really well and truly one of the best in the country um, and so what what can I do now that I'm here and I say this with like with no illusions about how strong I actually am because I know that I like, when I first sent my power files to my coach about a year ago, he said, 
Wow, you make a shockingly low number of watts. <laughs> That's um, what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also not going to pretend like I'm a like I'm some kind of like magical bike wizard that can do extraordinary things with like very few watts. Like it's hard and 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 sometimes I can like weasel my way to a result where I'm just totally punching up. Sometimes. Absolutely not every time. And that's what happened two years ago. And so ever since then, I've been sort of like chasing something similar, which, you know, if lightning strikes once, it's a really interesting experience to go out trying to get hit by lightning again. Hmm. Um, I've been working really hard this year uh, to <laughs> try and get my ass hit by lightning again. Um, you know, I've been working with a coach. I've been training more both volume and intensity than I've, than I've ever really done before. Um, and I raced a, you know, a swath of UCI races at uh, the Valley Preferred Cycling Center in Trexlertown, Pennsylvania, um, as my sort of my regular racing. And I went to Nats with some high hopes. And I am, uh, you know, I've been home for less than 24 hours since my trip, so I'm very much still processing this, but uh, it didn't go well. It didn't go well for me at all. Oh, um, man. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, so there are... And I can, you know, I can identify reasons why, um, to, to explain what not going well means for me is that for, for the three events that I was doing, uh, the scratch race, which is a 15 kilometer race to the finish, um, the international omnium, which is a sort of four event tournament held over the course of one day, four races in one day, uh, and the points race, which is a 30 kilometer high-speed game where you have to sprint for points and the winner is the person with the most number of points. Um, for each of those races, there was a qualifying race and you had to get top 12 in the qualifier in order to advance and the qualifier races each had 20 or 24 riders in them. So they were like full. On, on a 250, 24 is the maximum number of riders you can have in one race at a time. Um, sure, sure. And, uh, you know, in, in the past, I, I've had a pretty good pretty good sort of qualifier success rate um something like uh two four six uh yeah i've qualified for four out of six championship races that i've done in the past um and i just i struck out i went over three uh oh, and, man. and and it was a shock to the system um the racing was really hard and really fast and that's to be expected um, the fields were really, really deeper than they've been in my experience. Um, and sure, like I expected them to be hard and fast, but I'm also hard and fast. So come on. Um, <laughs> but I, but I also like made a couple mistakes, you know, in, in the, in the qualifier for the Omnium, I was racing for points and I, I sprinted and I got some points in this little points race qualifier um, and then I had to like settle in and recover. And as I was doing that, some big lap moves went away and you, it wound up, my qualifier wound up such that you needed to take a lap in order to qualify. So I decided to race like that the next day. And in my qualifier, it was just really attacky and chasey and nothing got away. And so, like, with the points I had gotten the previous day, if I'd raced like that, like, I would have, would have qualified this other day. And if I had raced for the lap and, you know, like, it, it, it could have happened. It, it, I was just sort of... Here's, here's an experience that maybe a lot of bike racers in our audience know, is that sometimes you're off 
the right rhythm of the attacks in a bike race and you just can't get on it right like you attack and people let you get like five seconds and they just like pull you back and you're like well that was just a wasted match you know and you immediately get countered by everyone who you're like why didn't you just bridge up to me right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and whatever even if they come back you just you're still on this cycle where you're just on the wrong side of things well yeah you know i mean i think that people you know know that experience of you know whatever you put in a dig uh and uh everyone chases it immediately and shuts it down and then like someone else goes and people are like eh yeah <laughs> and they just ride away yeah no no one responds and it's not even you know it's like but it's not that they're tired or more tired or you know the the even more fun reverse is a, a move goes and people are like eh and then you go and everybody's on you like white on rice exactly yeah, yeah. and you're like what what am i doing and you just you know yeah so i think i think a lot of people know that feeling yeah and so you know that, that wasn't like exactly what what happened to me but it's just this sort of like similar effect of of kind of being off of the main story of the bike race Mm. and like i didn't bring my computer with me my like personal computer so it was only recently that i like i looked at you know the the power data and it, it was a relief to look at it and say okay no wonder it was hard that was hard Mm -hmm. um putting out like essentially more watts at a bike race than i'd ever done before um yeah and yet and then it's you know but on the other hand you're like man i just uh, right i i train my butt off and i you know i don't want to project here i train my butt off and i'm stronger than i've ever been and and it wasn't enough i didn't get my i didn't reach my goals yeah and that that's got a that's got a sting it stings a little bit you know because i'm i'm 35 years old and like i've won a pro race at t-town and i've traveled to like dick lane and won some races there and i was rider of the year in minnesota and i've like podiumed races in chicago and indianapolis and new york so like i, I feel good about all that stuff um but i also know that like i'm a i'm an athlete with a day job mm. um and that hasn't like really stopped me before but like right now it it feels like it is and you know that's not going to change i'm not going to like quit my job and like go all in on like full-time athlete but i'm just i'm just really starting to see that dividing line between uh day job athlete and full-time athlete you know i saw it at t-town when i would be like yeah all right great like i got first person with a job you know in this bike race um and I see it at Nats where, you know, there's a, a new crop of track racers who've been, you know, essentially on the, the U.S. national team, like doing track endurance training in camps mm-hmm. uh, in Colorado periodically over the past year. And there's a, a bunch of people going hard and competing with each other and making Nats a lot, uh, a lot more difficult for guys uh-huh. like me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this whole subject is maybe another one to file under the, let's talk about that sometime. Mm-hmm. The, you know, that uh, being the person with a job, racing bikes, and, 
you know, balance and all that. Because, you know, you and me, um, I mean, we're at a different level, you know, right now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not racing at, uh, nationals, you know, you, you, you can go to nationals and feel like, you know, uh, it went badly for you not making a final, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not quite there. Uh, but nonetheless, like, you know, we're, we're both, we're people with careers outside of bike racing. You know, we want to develop those and, and that does have an effect, right? That does, you know, that, that limits what you can do. And I think going into like thinking about the whole life versus bike life thing would be, would be interesting, but man, for now, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't get what you wanted necessarily out of track nats. I hope that it was still, you know, overall an experience worth having. I hope that, uh, you know, I, I hope that, I hope that you can be proud of what you have accomplished, which is that, you know, you really put your all into it and, and you did get to be real strong and, and stronger probably than you've ever been and put out more Watts than you ever have in a bike race. And, you know, it was, uh, I hope that's something to be proud of. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good at like compartmentalizing the like disappointment with my own race from the like general satisfaction that I get and the like mm-hmm. the general fact that I like worked hard for something and I and I have achieved some of the things that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the fact that like, you know, that might be disappointing, but I still had fun racing bikes and traveling with people that I really like and watching uh, some really good bike racing. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. There is a sense in which, um, from, I don't know, my experience with this is limited, but there's a sense in which uh, I at least have felt a little bit better about losing races when I'm on form, you know, to people who are just stronger than me. Than, than just being like, what's what's going on that like like you know not having it together, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like yeah, I was, you, I was, you, yeah. You're sort of saying like, okay, like I got beaten by someone who is fast and hard. Right. That's okay. Yeah. Well, like two years ago in cross, when when I had th- that great season and, and upgraded, you know, out of three <laughs> into the elite races, like I I felt. Uh, it was really frustrating not to be able to notch a win because I felt like I got really close, mm-hmm. uh, and and it was mostly kind of a certain degree of bad luck that that kept me from from uh, recording a win there. Uh, but at the same time, it was like, well, you know, I, I showed up and I was I I did my my best and I was fit and someone was faster than me on that day in those conditions. You know, whereas mm-hmm. last year it, it was like. It's so much more demoralizing to be, you know, to enter, you know, the same race, enter like a two, three, four race or something and be like, I'm not even where I was last year, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, so, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that experience is, is, I think, I think really different when you're like, I don't know what's going wrong for me and everything is terrible and uh, versus, you know, there's a certain pride just in getting to a point where you can you feel like you can compete where you want to be. Yeah. I don't know. There's And there's also this thing that people say, which mm-hmm. is maybe a bit of a... What's that word? Cliché? Thanks. Uh, that's bike racing. Like... Huh. L- yeah. It's... 
there is no one bike racing. Bike racing is just this thing that builds you up sometimes and breaks you down sometimes, and you're going to have to accept it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that actually that actually makes me want to segue slightly or illustrate that with something from one of my favorite bike racing stories, which is something that Bob Roll wrote. I think it's a chapter in, in one of his books, Bobka 2. Um, it's about... Uh, Team Lada, like the the worst pro cycling team. This is just like Soviet cluster fudge, um, mm. you know, of like people. This team with like old bikes and torn kit and all that. Um, and you know, he's talking about he's talking about the team, and he's talking about like a few like really rough weeks that he has racing in Belgium, where he's just full of like the worst luck just the absolute worst luck um and he's just bob roll is just ready to be done and i won't spoil the story but like something amazing happens involving team lada um and he writes at that point in my career i was just about ready to pack my bags and go home I'd seen so much corruption while literally riding myself into the ground that both my mind and my body were at the limit of my capacities. But seeing what happened so amazed me, I was able to renew my resolve and understand that just about anything can happen, and usually does, when you're racing Belgian Kermises. And here I'd editorialize that it's you know, just bike racing in general. He continues, yeah. I realize that if you're in the race, you have a chance. If you stick by your team through thick and thin, you increase your chance and if you allow what rends your body and striates your mind to nourish your spirit, you cannot lose. And that last sentence just has it all for me. You know, like sometimes bike racing is going to break you down and you need to like accept it and love it and use that as some source of fuel. Nourishment. Food. Yeah. Food if you your allow soul, what man. rends your body and striates your mind to nourish your spirit cannot lose what is it clear eyes full hearts can't lose <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good note to end on yeah so listeners oh, please allow what uh, what breaks you down to wake you up the next day yes sir and, and then Wake up and come for a ride with us, the Honest Bicycle Program. Alright, peace. Have a good night. <laughs>